Let me tell you about the Higher Self Expo July 2021. It's a 24-hour event with 33 guest speakers who are sharing their wisdom and exploring the connection between science and spirituality. Today's guest is a guest speaker at this event. To register your place and find out more, go to www.higherselfexpo.com. Hey everyone, it's Louisa Tanamunson from Feel Good Astrology and I'm delighted to welcome you to a Feel Good Conversation today. Now, I've got a guest I'm super excited about because he's somebody that's new to me um, and somebody who has a whole range of experiences that is very different to, to what I've come to know. So I'm really fascinated to get inside his mind today. He is an author, a neuroscientist, uh, the inventor of the precognition method, and also a pop star. So <laughs> as you can imagine, I'm a little bit kind of keen to delve into his mindset. So let me tell you a little bit about the work he does. And I'm going to just get my notes up just to make sure I, I, I do it right. So he is on a mission to bring cutting edge neuroscience technology to real world professional and personal environments. And he's got practical techniques that are going to help us do that. Now, he uses the latest heart rate variability research to overcome what's known as cognitive lag. So if you're somebody who has suffered from burnout, fatigue, anxiety, um, overwhelm, and a whole range of symptoms that maybe make you feel a little less than, then this is somebody you really want to listen into because his technique could be of great use, um, especially if you apply it in your everyday life. His precognition method has been successfully applied to award-winning leadership programs and his nervous system training has also won the TEDx Sydney pitch. So this is... Um, this is a really strong contender <laughs> for um, for creating change in the world. He's also the best-selling author of The Hidden World, The Inside Story of the Soul. Have I wet your appetite enough yet? <laughs> I'm hoping so. So anyway, my guest today is called Dr. Koshik Ram. Um, I'd like to welcome him to the show. Let's bring him on now, shall we? So, Kojik, um, welcome to the Feel Good Conversation Show. I'm really curious, first of all, to ask you about your training as a neuroscientist. So, can you explain what drew you to neuroscience as a subject and how this has shaped you? Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me uh, on this uh, show, Louisa. And oh. uh, yeah, the, the whole journey with uh, neuroscience started, uh, I guess, uh, in my teenage years. And mm -hmm. I was looking for answers, which, you know, seldom came from uh, uh, the teachers, the grown-ups I was around. And uh, a lot of the answers that they gave me about, you know, what reality is or where do my thoughts come from just didn't seem to hit the mark. And I kept asking, which annoyed the grown-ups. So that's, that's kind of where it started. And um, I guess my entry point into understanding the world was through biology. I studied uh, biology, animal behavior, and things like that initially, just to work out the natural world. And then when I was in my teenage years, like 18 and 19, that's when uh, a book came across my hands, uh, which was by Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. And uh, once I read that, everything that I knew about science kind of collapsed. And so I had to rediscover uh, reality again. And so um, 
in order to go around uh, discovering that, I decided to take a hard approach, which was study neuroscience itself, work out where our thoughts come from. And uh, that's been a 15-year journey. So after leaving high school, I went and did another 13 years as a neuroscience uh, researcher. So that's been sort of in the professional career. Um, and yeah, alongside, I was always investigating, uh, you know, the mind, uh, the body in various different elements. So it's, yeah, it's been a very long journey just um, getting to this point. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, that's a huge question to be asking yourself, like, where do thoughts come from? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's great, isn't it, how a book inspires your next journey. So, um, wow. When we had our first call, I expected it to be all about the brain. And in fact, it turns out to be a lot about the heart. You spoke with great authority about the purpose of the heart. And you made a distinction between, and I'm going to get this right, I've got it written down. Um, you made a distinction between what the mind wants and what the heart can create. Can you share a little bit about that for me, please? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the distinction really comes from the fact that um, the mind is populated by all these thoughts. Uh, to this day, I don't know where they come from, so we'll just get that, <laughs> you know, clear. Uh, but uh, when when we look at the heart, uh, a lot of our physiology changes before uh, it reaches our mind, and so things like you know sweating response on your hands, uh, dilation of your pupils. There's a lot of different physiological things that happen in your body, mm -hmm. even before. Uh, our senses or what we are picking up from our senses reaches our subconscious perception. And then the subconscious decides what's important, what's negligible, and then it filters into our conscious uh, perception. And all that time, it takes about, you know, about 200 milliseconds before uh, something happens and it reaches our conscious perception. So... In that time, so many physiological changes have happened. And so when I talk about the heart being the first perception of reality, it is the moment anything happens around us, immediately our heart rate changes, and that yeah. governs all the physiological processes. So the distinction really comes from by the time information enters our heads, we are seeing it through the lens of all our past experiences or what we want in the future. Uh, it's very easy for that information to be biased or manipulative. While when the heart yeah. perceives something, uh, it simply is. And it hasn't, uh, you know, added any of the other filters across it. So it's a very pure way of perception. So that's why I say there's a difference between what the mind wants and the, what the heart can create. And I use the word create very um, uh, purposefully there as well. Uh, so while the mind is always coming from a place of lack, it thinks <laughs> it wants, you know, good things. Yeah. And this is the classic thing where, you know, the, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Isn't it um, just? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we, we always think we're doing the right thing, but uh, how often does the mind, you know, keep... Uh, bringing us in knots or, uh, you know, we try to do something and then try to correct it or, you know, there's 
all these, um, I guess, deceptions that the mind creates, and then we end up um, putting out the fires later on. So, yeah, yeah that, that's that's basically what the distinction is. Yes, I love what you're talking about with filters there. Um, my husband calls it like he says that we have a certain listening for something, you know, so we'll be going through life and something will happen and our own listening for how something is going to play out is the thing that our mind will hold on to, you know, we'll, we'll shape it in, into that kind of, we'll, we'll put it into that box. Um, that, that almost answers my next question actually, because I heard you say um, before that the heart is the first perception of reality. And so I guess with this, you know, I'd like to know a little bit more about that. Is is that taking us even um, sooner in the journey? You know, so we, we're going back to the heart. How How is the heart the first perception of reality exactly? Yeah, so um, I've mentioned this before as, uh, you know, the physiological changes that happen. Uh, yeah. So the, the pathway really originates at the heart. Uh, mm -hmm. Certain metabolic changes happen. Uh, your, you know, adrenals may fire up, uh, your thyroid gland may uh, be stimulated, and that puts the nervous system into a different state. Uh, and then the body starts allocating different resources depending on the situation. So if the heart rate accelerates, for example, uh, then the body registers a threat response. The threat might yeah. not be real but uh, the body knows no difference. So it creates an artificial response uh, or a real response to something that is artificial. And um, from there, you know, the, the, the energy may be withdrawn from, you know, your digestive processes and allocated mm -hmm. to adrenal function. Um, and so your physiology has changed. And then in the conscious, sorry, the subconscious processing, this information is reinterpreted as well. So now the subconscious is looking at the environment from a perspective of threat. And so that's where, you know, negativity might come in or, um, you know, judgments, blame, anything <laughs> that we have adopted uh, from our previous experiences. And yes. so now that has taken uh, precedence. And then when we start thinking about things, it is through one of these experience or one of these lenses that we observe a situation. So already our, our perception is uh, manipulated from that, like from very early on. And we might be thinking that, oh, this is what I think, but uh, there's already so many processes that has occurred that has decided what you may choose to think. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, um, I'm marveling over the irony um, that you must have gone through um, in wanting to know the answers to things and studying neuroscience. And then early on, realizing that actually we can never know the truth about anything. <laughs> because um, how do you actually get to that pure truth without all of your filters and your reasoning and you know everything that you add in um on top of your sort of intimate knowing about a situation um wow that's quite a thing to have to get over um so you've written um a book um and as author of the hidden world the inside story of the soul um can you 
Can you tell me a little bit? Can you hear the birds in the background? Uh, very likely. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> We've just started. Um, it's I should say um, we're recording this um, across the world. So we're in completely different time zones. It's actually six o'clock here in the morning and the morning bird song has just started. It's so beautiful. I'm wondering if it will pick up on the video. So back to your story. Sorry. The hidden world, uh, the inside story of the soul. What was it that first inspired you to write that and how, you know, what is your hope for this book? Um in reaching the public? So I, I knew I was going to write this book uh, after I had read uh, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Wow. So, yeah. And this was still when I was in, in my 20s. And mm -hmm. early 20s, I was probably like 21, 22. And at that time, I, I knew I was going to write a book, but mm -hmm. I didn't know when. And I didn't know what was going to be in that book. So that idea had been born, but I didn't really know or have the maturity uh, yet to write. And um, over time, I kept researching, kept investigating. And the subtleties of sharing information started to come through. Uh, I realized that you can't simply tell people information. It just doesn't land. Uh, <laughs> only take on board what they what they want uh, yeah. it's right or wrong so mm. yeah, I knew that if I were was to create a how-to book it would just be another how-to book and so uh, in my investigations I, I knew the science which was informing a lot of my work but what I liked uh, reading was more fiction and mm -hmm. one of my authors was uh, Paulo Coelho and uh -huh. so I, I read all of his books um, and uh, a side note The Alchemist is not in my top five of the <laughs> favorite books from <laughs> Paulo Coelho so yeah. I just put that out of the way as well um, <laughs> but uh, yeah I found the way he uh, delivered information the way he uh, created stories which had so many levels of meaning uh, within it, I found that really profound. And so that, uh, I guess, inspired my own way to write, which is also very poetic. And uh, so now I had the writing style that I wanted. The information I thought I would write never entered the book. And uh, <laughs> basically, I, uh, I, I was in Byron Bay, uh, which is, uh, you know, outside uh, outside Sydney in Australia. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was there with a, uh, a group of friends. We were 40 of us and we were wow, basically setting, yeah, setting our intentions for the coming year, which was 2016. And I, I've always been fairly clear, fairly precise with my intentions and very deliberate. So I, I, I smashed out my intention. So like, I'm, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And uh, <laughs> then I basically, uh, after that, um, I guess, big group um, intention setting exercise, mm -hmm. I, I remember walking away from it. And the next day I was sitting uh, next to a waterfall and uh, all my hopes, dreams, and intentions that I had set had completely 
evaporated and I was like in the space of nothing. I was like, I don't know what to do. And mm. at that point, um, because I've had all this pre-existing experience in meditation and being with an internal state of nothingness or even loneliness, I wasn't uh, threatened by it. I was actually quite familiar and comfortable with it. And so I didn't mm -hmm. try to fill up that space with more things to do. Instead, I just stayed with it. And I stayed with it for a month. And that's when the first insights of the book started to come through. And so I knew this was something important and I started writing it down. And after about three chapters, I looked at it and I was like, this is horrible. Like, there's no <laughs> mood setting, there's no character development, there's yeah. no story arc. And at that point, I realized that I can't simply just half do a book. Uh, it yeah. requires a dedicated time and space. And so I literally abandoned my life in Sydney and I went to Thailand. Um, and yeah, that's where I wrote my book. Uh, majority of it I wrote while living inside a cave. Uh, and uh, that story itself has been featured in a number of documentaries. And, uh, you know, it's a standalone uh, story behind the book. It's quite, uh, quite interesting in itself. But uh, through that experience, I was able to write from a place that was quite pure. I was living in nature in my own purest state. So I wasn't getting bombarded by any external information. I, was doing, I wasn't doing any research. Uh, instead, I, I had this creative freedom to take the book anywhere I wanted. And so that's, that's really how I wrote the book. Wow. I'm imagining that when you were inside the cave um, for that length of time without being bombarded by modern day life, that some of your filters may have dropped or changed. Um, your perception must have been completely altered. I know you, you said you're already in a, an altered state anyway. Um, what other changes did you notice um, about yourself during that period whilst you're in a cave? Yeah, that, that's a very good question because uh, a lot of my behavior started to change. Uh, yeah. I, for example, when I came into the cave, uh, I did come in with a city mindset. I still wanted to work out. I had, you know. Um, <laughs> How were you working out? Were you um, doing resistance training for yourself against a no, cave wall? I, <laughs> I, I, had, I brought with, with me some gymnastic rings and uh, yeah. I used to and I still do use the gymnastic rings. And I tried to set it up in that cave, but the cave resisted. Uh, it, it almost had a mind of its own. And so yeah. whatever I was bringing into it, if it didn't match uh, the, I don't know what to call it, the vibration of the cave, uh, it expelled it. And so the cave is quite legendary. It's had, you know, people stay in there before and some of them have had, you know, dengue fever or termites ate their clothes or some oh, mishap happened, uh, which, you know, they weren't aligned with the energy of the cave. And I came with a misalignment as well. And very quickly I realized if I was to stay in this area, 
I would have to match the energy uh, where I was staying. And so mm. I threw out the race after a week of trying and like it wasn't like, didn't matter how elaborate I tried to set it up, it just, it always broke down. So yeah. I, I let it go. I uh, basically surrendered to, to the nature around me. And the rhythms that I was normally familiar with started to change. So, for example, I find myself waking up um, at 2 a.m. in the morning. And at that time, I had all these ideas flooding my mind almost barbarically. And that's when I started writing my book. And then I'd fall asleep again and then wake up at sunrise. And then I'd have all these pages written, which I'd then transcribe onto my computer during the day. And I was like, where, you know, like, where does all this come from? But it was as if I wrote my book almost in a dream state. And mm. also, you know, my sleeping pattern uh, had changed. I used to light fire in the cave. And so there were times when, like, the, the logs in the fire would run out. And so my sleep would sort of um, go into light sleep at the same time. And I would find myself waking up putting another log in the fire and going back to sleep. So all of these subtle changes were, uh, you know, happening in my natural rhythm. And mm. so the, the pace at which, we, at which we move in daily life did not match uh, that pace in nature. So it's kind of harmonizing with the rhythm of nature. I love that. I love that so much. I wonder how many humans actually give themselves the opportunity of um, harmonizing with their environments um, and being conscious that they're doing that. Um, wow, That's, that is very profound. Um, yeah, I like, I like that a lot. Um, so I want to take you from your story now. It's, it's, it's almost like we're going to change the state altogether. I want to take you from the story because um, I, I watched your music video that you did with um, Coco the Conscious um, called The Equation of Love. Um, and I, I really liked it. Um, not normally my genre, but I have to say it had a really good beat. So you're a performer too. How, how did that come about? Um, and what led you there? Yes, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it's I, 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 I performer. Uh, it, it's uh, it just came out quite uh, magically. Um, mm -hmm. I happen to have done a talk at a music festival uh, two years ago. Yeah, and there were at least a hundred, maybe even a hundred and fifty people in the audience. I don't really remember uh, uh, most of them, but. <laughs> After the talk, um, Coco, who's the um, hip hop artist, uh, he was probably 21 or 22 back then. Uh, wow. he, he was moved by my talk, so he came up and introduced himself. And we had a nice conversation, but I didn't think much of it. And we didn't actually exchange any contact details. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a movie festival. We don't really carry our phones around. There's no reception. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, we just left it at that. We just left it as a beautiful conversation. And um, so after that interaction, 
that sort of was forgotten. And uh, two years later, December 2020, I was just walking casually down Bondi Beach and suddenly this kid sort of jumps in my way and starts to yell <laughs> Lost Paradise, which was the music festival. And I yeah. didn't know who he was. And then he started helping me to connect the dots. He was like, oh, you gave this talk. And I came up and said hi to you. And then it just clicked. I was like, oh, wow, like uh, you were the kid who had approached me. And uh, so we, again, had a very beautiful conversation. And afterwards, uh, you know, we, we exchanged details this time. So um, uh, I did find him on uh, Instagram and he did the same. And so we were in contact. And uh, I was also at that time sort of playing with this idea called Equation of Love. I didn't know what it was. Uh, it could have been a book. It uh, <laughs> could have been a poem. Uh, I, I did not know yet. So when we met up the next time, uh, we started talking about it and then we realized it could be a song. And uh, so we, yeah, just started to put more energy into it. Um, I gave uh, Coco the idea of how I wanted the song structured. I wanted it to build up to this idea of equation to, of love. And uh, yeah, he selected the beat, he wrote the song. And when I heard it, I was like, wow, this is incredible. And mm -hmm. so um, uh, I, I never knew I was going to make a music video, but then I got a crew together, I got a cameraman, you know, we had a production team and yeah, we, yeah literally put this entire clip together within uh, the space of a month. And uh, so, yeah, that whole uh, music video came about, Equation of Love. And uh, yeah, quite, quite an incredible experience. I could never have imagined um, getting so many incredible people involved in a project in such a short space of time. But uh, yeah. I guess that's how all these magical things happen. Yeah. Um, yes, I I'm guessing people wanted to get involved because it felt good. You know, there was something about yeah. it that pulled them to it. Was that on your yeah. list of um, of intentions at the beginning of the year or when it was when you got together with your pals? Hmm, I want to be a musician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think music is one of my um, strong points. Uh, the, the song was sung by uh, Coco. Uh, mm. What I did was directed, produced and uh, created the storyline. Uh, and so, mm. yeah got featured in the video as well. But yeah. uh, this, uh, I, I did the uh, creative uh, side of it. Wow. That sounds like you're living your life really well and really beautifully, you know, on purpose with, you know, what your spirit's asking, you know, what your soul is um, crying out for. Um, this is really fascinating because I don't think I've ever heard anyone that um, has really sort of, dived into science talk so beautifully about um what's inside you know and and their intention i think that's that's really magical um so how have your personal and scientific discoveries changed you because obviously you've been on this journey kind of bridging both both you know the scientific and the spiritual you know how how has that birthed your current 
reality and practice. Mm. Yeah, that's a very interesting one. And to be honest, I don't align myself with either. Uh, I, I, yeah. For a, a large part, I see so many shortcomings mm. uh, in, the, in the scientific field. And I see so many traps in the spiritual field. And so Absolutely. if you get caught up with either, uh, yes. you do get very, I guess, opinionated with you know your particular field. And mm. because I, I try to be free of those, it allows me to be a scientist, but also be so collaborative on all these insane projects, which as a scientist, uh, if I was, you know, trying to be that scientist, I would not have come across all these opportunities. Yeah. So in a way, uh, I use the tools of science, which is critical thinking, uh, the ability to investigate, uh, mm -hmm. the ability to dissect down ideas, get very refined and reconstruct it in a sensible way. So those are the tools that I've learned from science and I've been very privileged to uh, have all the, I guess, resources available to me as well, including, you know, mm -hmm. mind devices, access to, you know, my own physiology. I use this aura ring, which, you know, detects mm -hmm. all the, uh, like my internal state, my heart rate variability, and I have the know-how of uh, working with that data. So, mm -hmm. Those are all valuable skills that I've gained from science. And then with spirituality, I guess um, I don't really align myself with all the trends that are happening. You know, that yes. is, has no relevance to me. I, I'm not interested in any of that. Uh, mm. For me, uh, I guess when, when I talk about spirituality, I do really talk about the heart. And when I say there's a difference between what the mind wants and what the heart can create, it's mm. really down to there's only one thing that I ever listened to, and that is my own heart. And that sort of negates all the other information that is out there. Could be yes. true, it's really false. It doesn't even matter. Like mm. the only information that is relevant and the only decision I ever have to make is what my heart decides in this moment and that's what I've always gone by so in any given moment I could not be more aligned wow and there's there's the person that you needed to find when you're a teenager so uh, you know at the start when I was asking how you were led on your journey and you said well you know I, was, I had all these questions and I was looking around for some adult or some teacher or guide or somebody who could help answer those questions and you are the elder that you maybe needed back then um and you're gifting your yourself in the world you know i think the world actually needs more people who can um carry such um uh, you know a heart of possibility you know be open to considering things and to you know, share their thoughts um, with inquiring minds. I think I think it's great to have people like you on the planet. Um, now, you've also um, you're an inventor, aren't you? So um, you've, you've created um, the precognition method. Um, I'd like to know how it evolved and and how it can help people practically. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the, the precognition method is basically an elegant model, which mm -hmm. I use to help people understand uh, why you should listen to your heart. And um, for many, like, they have come across listening to your heart, but it mm -hmm. hasn't really clicked because yeah. it hasn't really been translated in a way that they understand. And so, you know, there's things like, you know, the five love languages, which you can read. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it might make sense. Uh, and, you know, there, there's so many tools out there, but I, I wanted to come up with my own set of, uh, I guess, processes to then translate what love is. And my processes are biologically oriented similar to you know, the, my science background. And so I wanted to talk about love uh, and not only just talk about it, but give people a language to talk about it. And mm. a lot of this language is non-cognitive. It is body-based. So you don't even need, um, I guess, uh, language to understand it. So I teach it predominantly viscerally and once that is unlocked uh, harmonially, uh, neurochemically, then it's the feeling, the state that informs the person because now they know what it feels like. And so that's majority of what the model covers. So first of all, we go through brain, body and behavior. We talk about how uh, fear and you know, the rhythms of the heart influence that. And we go quite deep, you know, when I talk about the brain, I can go into extended lengths about this. Um, and, uh, and when I talk about the body as well, I've uh, spent a lot of time dedicated to understanding uh, the body. So, you know, I'm 37 right now and I could not be in better physical shape, you know, because mm -hmm. I've did so much into understanding how the body works. Uh, and then, uh, behavior as well. So uh, over time, understanding psychology, uh, organizational psychology, I do a lot of corporate work and uh, I understand behavior change and how that affects culture change. And so all this wealth of experience I've combined together into just understanding brain, body and behavior. And then we, I guess, um, uh, transcend that and we talk about the physiology of the body when it is unlocked in its potential and so I talk about you know, courage which is quite uh, base related uh, you know we, we talk about oh this person has a lot of guts you know and courage that instinct that uh, ability to just take action you know or all of that is related to that uh, root driving force. I talk about uh, compassion of the heart. And yeah. uh, there's a lot of intelligence that unfolds when you're coming from the intelligence of the heart. So you may look at a problem at a certain level and at the level of the mind, uh, if it's self-centric, uh, it might look at the problem. If you're using a strategic method, that's a different level of looking at problem. Uh, you can also take a more moral approach at looking at a problem. But mm -hmm. compassion 
is, you know, like I, I talk about uh, love as the highest state of intelligence. And there's yes. so many elements that uh, come into that. So I, I, I do talk about um, love as intelligence as well. And compassion uh, is a very uh, powerful way of demonstrating that. And then I talk about creativity as well, which is unlocking the potential of the mind. And there is a biological process that unites it all and uh, that is known scientifically as vagal tone, which is the strength of communication between brain and body. And for the most part, society functions from the mind and they lose connection with the body altogether. And so mm. they have very low vagal tone. But when you heighten the vagal tone and the connection is reestablished, then the gut instincts, the intuition of the heart, the creativity of the mind are all working synergistically. And that's a particular state. And so mm -hmm. uh, we dive deep into that. And then once we've, I guess, uh, calibrated uh, the internal processes, we've got your heart to work in its natural rhythm, then we apply that into how to translate that externally, how to ask for what you want, how to take action, how to find alignment, how to create a situation that could have you know, gone sideways and use compassion to uh, create alchemy. So yeah. a lot of these things start to shift uh, because you can't just work on the internal processes. That's only half the journey. You have to translate it externally as well. So it's mm -hmm. a very uh, well-mapped program. And um, I deliver this uh, to corporations as well yeah. as individuals. I, I like your approach um, in taking something that is internal but also um, finding a way to apply it to make sure that it lands somehow, you know. Um, I see lots of different methods that don't get practiced or tested or understood in, in a few different ways. For instance, like, you know, I, I've got three small children and, yeah, I can tell them to do something or teach them to do something but it's not until they also have heard me say it have heard themselves say it have, until they've taught it to each other until they're doing it that it really lands and and so it sounds like um your precognition pre method actually gets integrated fully would you yeah. agree with that yeah yeah a very i guess slow release process because uh, i don't want like there's so much information uh, mm. if you provide information it's just information dump people get overwhelmed and yes. you know, uh, that creates inaction so when you yes. do it in small doses it has a different effect and they gradually uh, have experience with the information mm. and by the end of the program you know they, they just get it yeah yes it's interesting that you mentioned overwhelm there as well um it, there's not much you can really do with somebody when they're in a a place of overwhelm um it's, it's almost like their uh, their their brain or their ability to listen and take things in shuts down um it's interesting that you talk about i'm fascinated by the states that we're in so i'm sorry <laughs> um so how did your how has your precognition method changed your life then it's i can hear it's changing other people's lives 
from your approach? How's it changed yours? Yeah, I guess it's given me a tool to uh, express uh, the information without overwhelming people. And uh, yeah, I guess I've always been looking for the most efficient, the fastest, the uh, I guess the simplest approaches. And uh, when people do run through the program, they realize, wow, like, you don't need any of this complexity. You don't need complex dogma or concepts or ideologies. It's actually very simple. Simply listen to your heart. But to get someone to that stage is quite difficult. So (laughs) uh, someone might have been hurt or Mm. might have checked out of their body altogether because of some form of abuse. And so to get them to trust heart again is quite uh, an undertaking and so basically the program helps them build trust over time and once they start trusting their heart uh, then they yeah it's to listen to the heart comes much more easily so uh, that to me is very rewarding Uh, Mm. when I see someone blossom and open up and actually start doing what they were meant to be to be doing (laughs) Uh, that's quite fulfilling, um, mm. and yeah, I because I teach my method methodology, um, that in itself is quite rewarding. I could not be more aligned with what I do because who I am, what I teach, and what I want is exactly the same thing. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. Um... I'm sorry, I'm sort of considering the possibilities of, of how that could be used. Um, hence why I'm suddenly kind of off in my own world, kind of imagining. Um, if we were to get creative here, how, how different do you think the planet would be if, if your precognition method was taught and integrated and understood by every child on this planet right now? Yeah, that, that's something I've thought about a lot. Uh, in my book, actually, I, I do write that the evolution of humankind has been hijacked by the human mind. Yes. By the time our children leave school, they have been disconnected from their bodies and become yeah. chronic this. And so this, uh, I guess, message is reconnecting uh, individuals uh, whether adults or children, back mm. with their own body, back with their own hearts. And so that, you know, they, they talk about uh, the source of diseases is dis-ease with their own yeah. body. So if we are, I guess, uh, uncomfortable with the only place that keeps us safe and secure, then there's a problem. And so autoimmune conditions happen, digestive problems happen, all sorts of metabolic conditions happen. Mm. It's as if the body is attacking itself. And uh, it's so apparent uh, with this, when this connection between brain and body is low, then diseases happen both mental, physical, and physiological. Mm. And clinically, we actually treat things like depression, chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, I've had a lot of <laughs> uh, yeah. 
you heightening the vagal tone, even mm. something uh, like rheumatoid arthritis, which is an yeah. autoimmune condition, can be treated with heightening the vagal tone. So yeah. uh, by simply heightening the vagal tone, if you can alleviate so many diseases, then mm. the ability of any human being to use their capacity, their resources unfolds so much more naturally because they're not burdened by uh, sickness or disease. So yeah. that's you know, a huge uh, goal of mine. And um, I'd be happy to share this, you know, on a yeah. biggest whether it be the UN or different government departments, which I've already spoken with government. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I, I do want this message because it's so simple uh, to, to land uh, anywhere, whether it be schools, yeah. governments, you know, uh, organizations. Mm. Or even mum groups. Yeah. <laughs> so so I would really listen to you. Um, that really hit, that really hit home actually because um, when when I was sixteen, I um, was diagnosed with glandular fever, which led into chronic fatigue syndrome, and I spent um, the good part of a decade, maybe a little bit over that, um, just just cycling around and around and around um, with infections, um, then antibiotics, then you know, not soon after, even more infections. And and then obviously depression as well, because, you know, I was in my 20s feeling very incapacitated. And it actually, the, the thing that really changed for me was just coming back into myself. Um, you know, yeah, I changed my diet and, and did all sorts of other things. But, but really learning, um, learning to reconnect to my instincts was one of the biggest factors in me recovering. And I haven't, I just haven't been ill for a really, really long time now. Um, but it's, it's really disturbing to hear that so many young people do suffer from dis-ease, you know, and that discomfort in their body and their discomfort about who they are. And um, and it is almost like, you know, when I walk around town, you know, if I go out at the moment, you know, when I see people, you, you, they're almost like heads on sticks. You, you can almost see that people are just in their head state, in their mind, and just not really connected to their bodies at all. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine that would um, be really worthwhile to get that out um, to the rest of the world. So um, back to science now um, and more sort of presenting. We've got the 2021 um, Higher Self Expo coming up in July this year on the 17th and 18th of July. There, I think there's 33 speakers and you're one of them. Can you tell me what you're going to be presenting to us all? Yeah, so the... the uh in the Higher Self Expo, I'd be talking about connecting with the heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's so many facets that we can go in there. But specifically, I, I mentioned um, giving love a language. Uh, right. That's something that I, I think people can take away uh, quite meaningfully. And uh, when I talk about uh, the love language that uh, comes from the precognition method, it's not uh, an interpersonal love. It is mm -hmm. self-love that I'm talking about specifically. So all the romantic fantasies that someone might have and, you know, <laughs> uh, talk about love as, you know, a love language. Um, I, I don't talk about that. I talk mm -hmm. about it in the sense of uh, how it's affecting our biology, what happens yeah. when 
oxytocin is enriched in our biology, how to do that, and what sort of behaviors occur from that. So uh, that's what we'll explore. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing you talk about it. Um, wow. Oh, I could just keep on asking you questions because this is such a fascinating subject. Um, but I fear we, we might need to draw this to a close. Um, if someone's been listening to, to this conversation today and are thinking, right, I'm really ready. I want to work with Koshik. Um, what's the best way for them to engage with you and to get that process started? Yeah, so uh, the first point of call is my website and it's mm -hmm. uh, drkoshikram.com. So even if you just Google my name, uh, K-A-U-S-H-I-K-R-E-M, uh, uh, like a lot of information would come up. Um, you just go through my website and uh, there's already programs on there which you can apply straight away. So I've got online courses. Uh, mm -hmm. Another thing that you can use straight away is my book, uh, Hidden mm -hmm. World. And uh, if you want to work with me directly, there's an application process that uh, you can fill out. And that helps me see whether, you know, if it's the right fit uh, mm -hmm. and I can help you. And, yes. um, and then if all of that aligns, then uh, you can work with me individually. You can also work with me as an organization. So if you're a business owner and you want, uh, I guess, more ways of uh, engaging your employees, which is getting harder and harder now with working yeah. remotely. And, uh, you know, a lot of employees are losing interest in the traditional way of working, uh, especially young individuals. And yeah. they're more impact driven than, you know, the traditional just make money uh, and pay the bill. Yeah. So, uh in, in those cases you can't motivate your staff just by you know uh fleshing out a pay rise which used to work mm -hmm. in public, but not so much anymore so if you genuinely want to connect with your staff and raise your productivity uh there's also a separate application form there for uh, corporations as well so those are the avenues that i focus on and uh there is a lot of information on my website as well. So you can go through the blogs and, you know, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a, I guess um, uh, you'll have to construct the information yourself. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if you, if you want hands-on uh, and work directly with me, that option is also available to you. Fantastic. If there was one thing you'd like people to take from this, like one piece of advice or, I don't know, one intention for the audience, what would it be? I'd uh, say breathe. Uh, <laughs> uh, so simple. Uh, you can't sort of not breathe. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, to, and I'm not even talking about taking conscious breaths, mm. but to realize the fact that anything that happens around you changes your breathing and mm. breathing is so intimately linked with your heart rate so if something happens around you uh, it changes your heart rate that immediately mm. shifts your perception so now uh, you perceive the world de depending on whether your heart rate has accelerated 
or whether uh, it decelerates in the process as well. So uh, I can show you measurements of my own heart rate. Uh, I'm consistent, consistently around 50 beats per minute uh, mm -hmm. normal. And even under threat, my heart rate still des decelerates rather than the traditional uh, heightened state of flight or fright response. So even under threat, I'm able to see all the options, uh, consider everything clearly, and have mm. all the time in the world to make a decision from my heart rather than panic and, you know, make decisions mm. on hesitation or manipulation or when I'm simply not in my power. So simply by breathing, you're able to slow down your heart rate, heighten that vagal tone, and um, that's pretty much all you really need to, right. to listen to your heart. So. Um, that's that's uh, basically the simple method. Uh, and uh, if you really want to know how to do that, then I've got online courses teaching how to do that precisely. Fantastic. That is excellent. It's been a real pleasure talking with you today. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, absolute pleasure. And thanks <laughs> for having me. Anytime. <laughs> thanks a lot. See you next time. Oh my goodness, what a fantastic interview and chat. I really, I really loved speaking to Koshik there. Um, what I'm really going to take from this is uh, the importance of feeling connected um, with our heart um, and the, abil the abilities that we can tap into in ourselves so that, we're, you know, when we're in the right heart state and when we're feeling really relaxed, um, that all of a sudden we have a whole range of extra options ahead of us, you know, that we don't have to just stick to the two that come up in our fight or flight kind of scenarios, but we are um, really wholesome and able to accept so much more of the world into our life and the possibilities and think from a much more resourced place. So this, this, yeah, I've really enjoyed this. I hope you have too. Um, if you've enjoyed the Feel Good con Conversation today, then please do subscribe. Please put your comments below and really feel free to share. And may I also suggest that you hook up with um, Dr. Koshik Ram. So please do also go to his YouTube channel um, and subscribe to it so you can stay up to date with all of his news um, and developments. Anyway, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Thank you once again for your time. Lots and lots of love to you from Portugal to wherever you are in the world over and out if you've enjoyed this conversation then why not support today's guest at the higher self expo in july 2021 the higher self expo is a worldwide 24-hour event with 33 guest speakers who were all sharing their wisdom and exploring the connection between science and spirituality to register your place and find out more go to www.higherselfexpo.com